The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this story, there's, there's pictures of Jesus showing incredible compassion. He is having compassion on this woman who is desperate. She's throwing herself at his feet and begging Jesus to remove this impure spirit. There's this man who's coming to his friends or bringing him to Jesus. Jesus has compassion on them. And what we see with this kind of compassion, it's compelling, like whatever it is. And it's not the kind of thing like pity, like feeling sorry for someone, like, oh, how pathetic they are. That's not what's going on. It's more like, I think, the idea of if you ever see a child like a young child, maybe they're crying. You know, we can hear a child, like if a child's crying, right? You know what you don't think to yourself? Make that child quit, right? I mean, you're thinking that poor child's struggling and mom and dad are trying to figure it out, like you have compassion. Or if you see a child running down a soccer field and they're about to score a goal and they're way out ahead of everyone and you're thinking to yourself, come on, let's do it, let's go. And, you know, the child puts forth all their effort. You enter into their experience, right? You're expressing compassion with passion you're entering into what they're going through and it provokes in what we see in jesus this empathy but it's not just empathy he actually offers grace and mercy and something more powerful access to this kingdom ben witherington said this the story on the surface bristles with features that are certainly not politically correct jesus calls a woman a dog He suggests that foreigners have no right to eat at the same table as Jews, or at least that Jews, God's chosen people, must be fed first. Like you hear Jesus' words, they're pretty hard. It's a pretty hard saying. It sounds prejudiced. It sounds racist. It is. The thing is, there's so much going on here, and I can't wait to tell you about it, where Jesus is actually taking those preconceived notions about how you determine the value of a person, and he's turning them upside down. And the only person who gets it is the only person that everybody in the room is thinking, that's a dog unworthy of God's love. It's the only person who really understands in that moment. It's an incredible story. 
If you consider the book of Mark, it's being sent out, right? It's being meant to tell the story of who Jesus is. And it's going out to lots and lots of Gentiles, not just Jewish people. And so this story, to be included in this narrative where Mark is telling about what Jesus did, at this point he's going around Galilee, it seems. He's making his way towards Jerusalem. And he's in a place where people aren't looking for a Messiah. A lot of people are, you know, the majority of people aren't. And so Jesus is going through here. And even so, he's revealing his kingdom. But for Mark to reveal these things would have been offensive to Gentiles. In fact, if you think of the first few centuries of the church, the Roman Empire was destroying Christians. They were persecuting Christians. And yet Mark reports this faithfully in the text. Why is that? It's because it really happened. If you're trying to make this book winsome to the force that's killing off the church, do you include this story? Mark certainly does. It's meant to remind us of the authoritative reality, the authentic nature of the scriptures. This is what took place. So let's look more closely. Jesus here is intentionally using a word that was derogatory. The Jewish people viewed Gentiles as the unloved ones. The people who had not come into their expression of what it means to know God, they treated them like outsiders. If you think of like a mangy mutt, that's what goyim, this idea of dog, it's what it would have meant. The word here is a little different, and I'll tell you about that in a few moments. But what Jesus is doing, it's what he's been doing up to this point, is he is completely changing people's preconceived notions about what it means to know God, to follow him, to experience his love, and to determine who is worthy of his love. He's been doing that all throughout the text. He touches people with unclean spirits. He makes them clean. He touches a leper who's diseased, who's not supposed to be approached. He makes him clean. He heals him. He touches a dead body and brings life back to it. Last week, we read about Jesus declaring all food clean. That's not a small little comment. That's a big deal. Jesus is taking people's understanding and saying saying to them, if you want to understand what it means to know me and what it means to follow me and what it means to be the beloved of God, I need you to watch a little more closely. I need you to hear what I am saying. The entire thrust of what Mark is doing is he's undoing what our assumptions are of who God's supposed to be and saying, I've got a better version for you. Watch Jesus. Learn about who I am. So we come to this story. This woman, um, just to kind of walk through it together for a minute, I don't want you to miss the details. Jesus has left He's gone into a house. He's trying not to be noticed. We see that in multiple places in this text. It has not become, it's not because Jesus has decided to go underground. Okay? He is kind of going under the radar because he's wanting to submit to his father's direction and purposes. He's wanting his father's plans for him to be the thing that determines what happens next, not his popularity. Have you ever seen someone who's really popular, what happens to them? One time Jamie and I were in Utah at the uh, Sundance film festival thing and there were incredibly popular movie stars and stuff walking by and you could always know who is a movie star because there was pretty much a v pattern from the person in front all the way back right there's people just chasing them to try to get their autograph or try to get to know them whatever plans that star had for the day have been changed because there's so many people around and if they stop which you'll notice there'll be a huddle of people whatever they were doing is now irrelevant now they're doing this Jesus is rocking people's worlds. He's doing amazing things. People see him and they say things like this. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. People cannot contain themselves. So Jesus goes into this house. He's eating. 
A woman hears about this. She approaches Jesus. She throws herself down. She and Jesus have this interaction to where Jesus throws this idea out about uh, her being a dog and her responding in such a way that actually takes the, the parable even further and Jesus loves it. He says, because of what, how you've replied, I can, you know, I can see where your heart is in this. Your daughter is clean. He makes it new. The disciples are missing it, but, but she is very much seeing it. Jesus is crossing all sorts of boundaries and entering into a place normally Jewish people wouldn't have gone. He's crossing geographic boundaries. He's outside of his hometown. Um, he's crossing um, boundaries between men and women because he's having a conversation with her about something that's important to her and central to her. He's crossing the boundaries of uh, culture. He's redefining terms, even in their, in their face, telling them, actually, if you really want to know who I care about, if you really want to know who the children of God are, it's bigger than you think. It's not as small as you think. And so, this woman expresses faith in who Jesus is, and it's both a humble and it's a bold faith. It's humble and it's bold. And let's look more closely together at it together. So, look at her boldness. She would have known she was not allowed to just approach a rabbi, especially uninvited, and she throws herself at, her, at his feet. Why does she do that? She's a desperate mother. Her daughter is suffering. She doesn't know what to do. She's heard about Jesus having a power that is un, you know, unexplainable except to say that he has power over darkness, and she throws herself at Jesus' feet. But look at her humility. Not only does she throw herself at his feet, but she has a dialogue with him, and she responds, she interacts with him. She's bold to approach him. She's humble to throw herself at his feet. And how does Jesus react to this? With grace, with an invitation into this kingdom. Verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Does that feel like an invitation? You know, when you think about dogs, just think about how you think about dogs for a minute. Usually we love them, unless you hate dogs for some reason. Pick another pet for this illustration, okay? Our dog, Bentley, got a fresh haircut yesterday. He's so clean. We call him Bentley. We treat him like he has human emotions. He does plenty of things to remind us that he's a dog, right? Um, but we, we, we treasure our dogs. Like, we care about our dogs. And yes, we're guilty of throwing food to him from the table. So for, for me to call you a dog... Um, it, if you're taking it as the Jewish people meant it, which would have been derogatory, that's one thing. But if, if I tell you I love you as much as I love my dog, it's a confusing thing to say to someone. But at the same time, you're getting the point. Like, I'm, I cherish you. I value you. You know, we treat dogs like our children sometimes. But in this context, in this moment, it is nothing short of a slur. It is a, it's a slur towards her value as a person. As the Jewish people would have viewed it, it was a way of determining who's worthy to be loved by God and who's not worthy to be loved by God. Jesus intentionally travels to Gentile territory to interact with people in some ways like this. Why does he do this? Well, what happens in this story? Someone who's a dog becomes something else. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Her reply, now just see this take place. She's thrown herself at his feet. She's looking up at him. And she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, if I said that to you about my dog, if I said, well, he eats the food from under our table, you're thinking, well, I guess you need to eat more cleanly, but whatever, it's fine. Like, he can eat the crumbs from the table. That's not a big deal. Of course he should eat. 
And if I told you, well, we don't feed him, we just feed him from the table, you'd be like, well, make sure you give him plenty of crumbs, like he needs to eat. This woman is interacting with Jesus, and what people are hearing who are Jewish are, you're not worthy to talk to the rabbi. And she says, but even dogs need to eat. Now, you can't see this because it's in English, but the word that's being used here for dog actually is more like the idea, especially for the Hellenistic people, these uh, Gentile people, it is much more similar to your and my concept of puppy. Even the puppy needs to eat. There's something going on with this interaction with Jesus and this woman that tells us that either Jesus had a twinkle in his eye or some kind of smile or there was something else going on that was communicated besides in words where it was an invitation into a conversation. And rather than taking Jesus' words, which were, you're not included, she says, well, even dogs got to eat. And he goes, you get it. Now, do you realize there's nobody in scriptures who understands a parable as quickly as this woman does? She immediately understands. He goes, hey, you know, I'm not going to take the bread from the children. She goes, well, dogs got to eat too. He goes, you're so right. They totally do. Your daughter is healed by your faith. If you read the parallel passage in Matthew, he says, how great is your faith? How great is your faith? Jesus is interacting with her because why? He has compassion on her. Can you imagine a mother throwing herself at the feet of someone who can help her daughter and saying, please help my daughter? And you're going, I'm like in the middle of something. Of course you wouldn't. You'd be like, how can I help you? Jesus has the ability to be gracious to her and to help her, and he does. Tim Keller said this, Jesus told her a parable. He gives her a challenge and an offer. She's saying, I'm not supposed to be at this table. I get it. Okay. I'm unworthy. I accept that. She's being humble. She's like, you're right. I am a dog. Of course I am. But she's also bold. Because she engages with Jesus. And we can tell Jesus' understanding of what she's saying by how he responds. And how does he respond? Your daughter's healed. The only person in the room getting it is this woman. And it's not a kind of boldness that you and I think about when we think about entitlement. You know, who loves entitlement in here, right? The idea that you're owed something. Well, I mean, you might be, but that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is she's saying, I am approaching you not because I'm good. I'm a dog, right? I'm approaching you because you're good. I'm moving towards you because of what you have said. I'm moving towards you because there's something about you that leads me to say, and she does, one of the very few places we see it in the Gospel of Mark, you are Lord. It's cried out to him as he approaches Jerusalem, but she says, Lord. She gets it. She understands who he is. She's beginning to say, I am asking for your grace, not because of my goodness, whether I'm a dog or not, I'm asking you for your grace because you are who you say you are. You are good and you have power. What we're seeing in this woman is a new heart that blossoms. It's what we've been talking about in this entire, entire series of Mark, that God is in the business not of helping us understand what to avoid, but rather to help us to understand what is in our heart and what's coming out. If you really want to understand where you are with Jesus, think about what comes out in your life, how you treat people, how you respond to people. The good news is, is that if you discover things you're not happy with, there's renewal, there's forgiveness, there's a new heart. The gospel brings resurrection. We've been singing about, the, singing about resurrection this whole morning. God makes dead things come to life. God makes hard hearts soft. She is awakening to God's love with her humility and her boldness. You know, I had a pastor once tell me that one of the most difficult things 
and easiest things that we can do in our spiritual relationship with who God is and wanting to develop our relationship with him is this, to talk to him, to pray, to know him. That's why we read the scriptures. You know, to pray is simply to communicate with God. It is to have a conversation with him. But it's difficult to do, isn't it? Because we're dealing with the God of heaven and earth. He invites us into a relationship. He invites us into understanding who we are. You know, Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. That's a comprehensive statement. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That everyone struggles to be who they're meant to be. I mean, do you know anybody who tells you, you know, as I've gotten older, what I've realized is that I'm perfect. Probably not. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. She comes humbly because she knows who she is. Do you know who you are? You're someone who needs God's grace. You're someone who's not perfect. You're someone who tries to hide whenever something goes wrong. Of course we do, because we don't like to cause more damage than we've already caused. She comes humbly because she knows she's a sinner. But she comes boldly because Jesus is who he says he is. He's the giver of life. He's the one that God the Father has sent so that we might do what? Live through him. There's no other way to find life. She discovers that. Now, for some of us in this room, we have no problem with humility. You are self-loathing, and I love you. You're, you, you have no problem seeing how wicked you are. Uh, you, you are the first to be humble in a situation because you have, you're not really confident in your place, maybe. You know, a lot of you are actually like that. Part of it is a, a fruit of the Spirit, but a, another part of it is misunderstanding how treasured you are. You are a beloved child of God. The bad news about not seeing yourself accurately, even if you're humble, is that you don't know how bad it is. That well of our sin goes really deep. You're not even aware of it. Sins we do by commission, sins we do by omission. Like We're really gifted at making mistakes. This woman knows it. She says, even if I am a dog, I still need to eat. And Jesus is gracious to her. Understanding who he is gives us a boldness to be able to approach him. So some of you really don't struggle with humility. Others of you really don't struggle with being bold. You don't care how what you say impacts people because you're just speaking the truth regardless of how it hits and smacks people in the face. That's also not really great. God calls us to a kind of boldness that is not in ourselves, but is in who Jesus is, the king of heaven and earth, the one who made us and knows us. Now, everybody has different temperaments. There are introverts in this room. There are extroverts in this room. Hello, introverts up front. Hello, extroverts up back in the back, right? Like we, introverts and extroverts are a real thing. Some people, temperamentally, are, they lend themselves to humility. Some lend themselves to being bold. Spiritually, it's right for us to ask this question. How am I doing with God in regards to my humility and my boldness? If you really want to see the gospel take root in your heart, you move toward both. We move boldly towards Jesus because he's who he said he was. We can ask him to draw near to us because he said he will. And we can call out to his spirit and say, Spirit, I am really struggling. I need your spirit. I need your presence. Bring to word, as David says in the Psalms, your scriptures into my heart. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, he writes. We move boldly because God says he will be our God. But we also come humbly. Because we're dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. This woman accepts Jesus' assessment of her. Do you accept Jesus' assessment of you? 
Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to suffer in ways you and I can't even understand because of Brad Wright's sin. Because of your sin. Do you accept who Jesus says you are? Because if you do, you're able to then accept the grace that Jesus offers. Because he also says, not just are you a sinner, but you are a beloved child. This woman has begun to tap into that. And she comes to Jesus humbly and boldly. She moves towards him and he immediately receives her. Now, for the second story, let's talk about this for a second. We have this man. Jesus does this really weird uh, thing with him. Like he spits on him and sticks his fingers in his ears. Like I don't know. It's very, very strange, right? He calls out, be opened. And the man's able to speak because he, he couldn't speak very well. And he's able to hear. What's going on there? Well, this man comes to Jesus too, right? Wrong. This man is brought to Jesus. His friends have heard about who Jesus is. And they bring this man to Jesus. And Jesus heals him. Now, let me read to you from the book of Isaiah. This is written well over a thousand years before Jesus um, would have done this miracle, or, or maybe right out a thousand years. Isaiah 35, verses 4 and 5. Okay? See if you see any fulfillment of what Jesus does in this moment. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. These people knew that Jesus was a big deal. They bring him to Jesus. They probably didn't understand everything. You can kind of judge by their response of Jesus healing healing this man that they're even kind of surprised by this. They bring him to Jesus for a blessing. And yet Jesus fulfills part of this prophecy here in Isaiah that he's the one who gives sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and is able to make the mute speak. And it's a revealing of who Jesus is and this man tastes and sees that it's good. But as you read that Isaiah 35 passage, again, it's a reminder. How does God bring his vengeance then against sin? How does he do it? Jesus receives the vengeance of God the Father, for us on the cross so that we can be the ones who sing for joy, who are able to see, who are able to hear. Tim Keller said this, this is in his book, he says, Jesus became a dog that we might become children. That is really hard to process. Jesus became the one upon whom vengeance was visited for my sin so that I could be the one upon whom God's love is visited again and again and again and again. God welcomes you into a grace that enables you to be humble, that you're a sinner, but also bold because you are forgiven. Christ's compassion is not just compelling, it's life-giving. Do you see yourself as a recipient of Christ's compassion? You really think Jesus understands exactly what you're going through. How about this? Take a relationship you're really struggling with, all right? And maybe you're not the person in the total wrong because we know there's such thing as absolute innocence and guilt in any kind of relationship. So maybe you're not in total wrong. Maybe you're just in the 1% wrong. If you're, you know, if you're not in a good place, I'll just say 1%. It's probably more like 30 or 50, but whatever. Let's just say 1%. All right? Let's say you find yourself in that situation. And you just want this person's heart to be opened. And you want their eyes to be opened. And you want their ears to be opened. 
And maybe you'll just throw in one of those prayers for yourself also, that your eyes would be opened and your ears would be opened and your heart would be made new. Why would you pray such a thing? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. God brings newness to us individually. He opens our ears because of the power of what Jesus offers. He opens our eyes to be able to see him. I think I tell you this every other week in my sermons. I never preach a sermon twice and and not discover something new about who God is. And I've been doing this for a while now. God opens our ears. He opens our hearts. He opens our eyes. Do you believe Christ has compassion on you? Do you really think he cares? He absolutely does. Now, let me just leave. We're, we're done here. Let me just mention a couple things. I want you to think again. This is an important paradigm, I think, about how it is that God builds his kingdom. On the one hand, we have, the, we have this woman who comes to Jesus because she knows she's desperate and she needs God to interact and intervene. She knows it. She's moving towards it. She comes to Jesus. She throws herself at his, at his feet. And he says, you know, why are you here? And she goes, well, because I'm a puppy, right? Like, I, I need as much love and care as anyone. And she receives it. Jesus is gracious to her. That's part of how God builds his kingdom is for us to know our desperation. Do you know you're desperate? And to move toward the only one who can bring relief to our desperation, Jesus himself. Part of why Jesus does these miracles is not just so every time you and I pray we get whatever miracle we ask for. He's doing it to give us a vision of what absolutely will one day come true when he returns as our king. But this is a foretaste. Even so, God does grant our prayers many times in the ways we ask in this life. So on the one hand, hand, Jesus gathers his people because they sense a need for him and they move toward him. How else does God build his kingdom? How else does Jesus find himself caring for people besides them coming themselves? By people bringing them. You know why this church exists? It's not just so I can have a job, although I am grateful. It's not so that we can have cool programs to keep you busy. Because you're in the woodlands in the surrounding area. You do well with being busy. Why do we have a church like this? It is so we can have a shared place and a shared community and a shared family where if if we have people we love and care about who want to experience and see just how good God is, this is a place where it can be done. In our community groups, in our Bible studies, in our worship service, in our children's ministry, in student ministry, in our VBS, in our Easter services, our Ash Wednesday, Not a single one of those things takes place without us having a discussion as a staff about how are we inviting people to trust in who Jesus is because that's the main thing. You need to hear it, and whoever you love needs to hear it. And that's what we're about. That's how God builds his kingdom. He is patient. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He is compassionate. So whether you're in the first few seconds of faith or if you're towards the end of a long life of trusting Jesus, Jesus welcomes you to his table. And he has food for you. If you have people you love and care about, who you want to engage and encounter God's goodness, this is a place where we do it because God's message of grace is central for us. Now, let me close with this quote. It's in the very front of your bulletin. Charles Hodge. He says this, The doctrines of grace humble a man without degrading him and exalt him without inflating him. 
God's doctrines of grace are meant to give you life. And the more you understand them, if you're rightly understanding them, you are going to be so humbled and yet so lifted up. Uh, You're going to be so overwhelmed that he cares so much for you, and yet you're going to claim it boldly, because after all, you are a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of God. That is his message for us with the woman from Syrophoenicia, with this this man who can't speak and he can't hear. Their experiences were completely transformed by encountering Jesus. And God wants us to be transformed as well. And the only way it happens is by regularly for us to engage with who Jesus is. And so as we celebrate the supper, I want you to think about that. Call out to God in your heart. Lord, make yourself new to me this morning. Remind me of your promises to me. Give me grace that's sufficient for me today. I'm going to take this bread and this wine by faith that you are who you say you are. Make me new. Let's pray together. Father, these two different people that Jesus cares for and has compassion for in this text, they're both in such desperate situations. They sense their need of you. And what they find is that the moment they express that need toward you, you are gracious to them, that you receive them, that you react and respond to them. Lord, would you give us that kind of faith to know our need for you as sinners, as those who don't trust you, as those who are trying to understand what it means to follow you, for those perhaps who have even rejected you. Would you give us an awareness of your goodness that we might be wooed again even today because you are at work and you are faithful. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.